Hello, this is Ruin Willow with the Oh, Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast. I'm super excited you're here today. I have a very interesting guest. And on my podcast on Tuesdays, I do erotic fiction. And on Fridays, I do interviews somehow related to sex, sexuality, and relationships. Quick mention, don't forget to vote for me in the Golden Pigtails. I'll put the link down in the podcast show notes. I have three books that are in for the running for nominations. And you have to vote by the 14th. And then the books that have the most votes go on to the final round, which then the voting is the second half of February. What's really cool is one of my books that's up for the nomination is going to be on a podcast. So that's going to be on tonight. So my story, Servicing the Trash Man, My Filthy Hot Wife Adventure, which is a part of my Servicing the Workmen, My Filthy Hot Wife Adventures, he is going to narrate that on his podcast in a portion of it, an excerpt. So you can listen to it if you want. So his podcast, and I'll put the link on social media, but his podcast is called Adult Erotic Stories from Wild in Bed. So check that out and you can hear a portion of that story that I am up for the award. And then the other one is Dressing Room Dom, which is a lesbian story, a woman loving woman. And then the other one is a anthology I'm a part of. It's a BDSM anthology, Hearts and Flowers, Whips and Chains. So, and then I have a new book out today, The Sugar Daddies, which is a collection of four short stories about, you guessed it, sugar daddies. Sugar daddies. Oh, yeah. So this is an interesting discussion I had with Paige Bond. Paige Bond is a licensed marriage therapist, host of the Stubborn Love podcast, and non-monogamy coach. So in this episode, we're talking about what is non-monogamy? Why do people choose it? How do people navigate it? What snags do they hit? She's created the Jealousy to Joy journey to help people-pleasing millennials navigate non-monogamy so they can tame their jealousy and love with ease. Her own journey from feeling insecure and jealous to feeling empowered and reassured is what fuels her passion to help other people-pleasers kick their relationship anxiety to the curb. You can connect with Paige Bond on Instagram at Paige Bond Coaching, Facebook, Paige Bond Coaching, and on her website, pagebond.com. She's a free jealousy workbook, and that's at her website, pagebond.com. I'll put the link to that down the podcast show notes. And she also has a free people-pleasing workbook. So you can try and break that unhealthy pattern for yourself. And so we had a really great discussion. I hope you stick around and get all of that helpful information. If you're interested in monogamy or if you just want to know what it's about, or maybe your partner came to you and you're like, I don't know. So Paige has a lot of great things to say and it was a great discussion. So let's go. Hello, everyone. I am so excited. And you know what? I have a mask on today. This is the first time I'm using this mask. It's like Mardi Gras time, right? I went to the party store looking for a mask and I'm like, yes, it's Mardi Gras time. So I got a Mardi Gras mask. I'm so excited. <laughs> My name is Ruin Willow and I host the Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast, which is also on Pod Nation TV. I don't know if you can see that, Pod Nation TV. And we are on Roku devices and Amazon Fire devices. So you can find our channel on Pod Nation TV and find all of our episodes, mine, and there's so many amazing, amazing podcasts out there. And I have to mention, I'm going to be hosting live with the Happy Hour podcast, which hosts YouTube live on Friday nights at 730 
Eastern. So we will be live. I will be the headless one unless I decide to do this fluffiness again. I'm really excited and I am so excited to introduce you to my guest. Her name is Paige Bond and I'm going to let her say a little bit about what she does. Welcome, Paige. Thank you so much. I'm loving the mask. I wish I had my own, but (laughs) we'll just uh, roll with it. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I started working with a lot of people in the non-monogamous community. And so I actually started a second business coaching non-monogamous people to navigate the ups and downs that can come with that journey when maybe someone is a people pleaser or they're struggling with jealousy. So we really try to kick that relationship anxiety to the curb and Try to find ways to reconnect when thrown off balance. Oh, yeah. That's totally a thing that happens in that kind of situation. The jealousy. And that's I think that's why some people don't even want to go in that direction, right? Like that's like the roadblock right off the bat. Yeah. And the funny thing is, you know, jealousy doesn't only happen in non-monogamous relationships. It happens in monogamous ones, too. So true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think... There are like a lot of fair judgments that people make about people practicing polyamory, open relationship swinging, and maybe with a little bit of fine tuning or hand holding, how easy we could actually make it for people. I think that's true. And so what made you want to venture into this? Is it something that you do yourself or is it just something you feel passionate about? Or did you just see a need in the community and be like, hey, I I, I think I can help people that are trying to do this. Yeah. So it's long answer, but I'll try to make it kind of short. So I had practiced various forms of non-monogamy that was not consensual in my early relationships, like growing up. Didn't like that because I wasn't able to be honest with people. And then I grew into, you know, going to school as a therapist. So I was going through grad school And transitioned into my own private practice when I graduated. And I noticed that there was actually a huge need for therapists being sex positive and really non-monogamy affirming. The first three clients that I got were all some variation of non-monogamous, whether it was swinging, an open relationship, or trying to decide if they want to transition from swinging into polyamory. So I noticed that as a need, and I didn't have any training in it throughout my studies, through grad school, anything. And I was like, well, I need to learn about this. So especially for growing up in a conservative background that Mm. only, you know, hey, monogamy is the only way and heterosexuality is the only way, right? So I got really curious about it myself and started educating myself, listening to podcasts, reading books, taking trainings. And then later on, I actually was in a relationship with someone where they presented the idea of opening up. They kind of suggested the idea of polyamory. When it came down to it, they actually wanted more so an open relationship type. Uh, I struggled with that a lot when it was presented to me because I was working from a monogamous mindset and shifting into a non-monogamous one while still having a monogamous mindset of, oh, if my partner has sex with more than one person than me, then that means they don't love me anymore. That's a monogamous mindset, right? It is. (laughs) Yeah. And so I I struggled with jealousy. I struggled with my self-worth, all kinds of things. And we really just couldn't figure it out to create healthy boundaries for ourselves and 
a path forward. So that didn't end up working out. That relationship ended for other reasons outside of that. And during my single time, I started practicing other various forms of non-monogamy. And, you know, I was able to have a really great time with it, with it being consensual, being open and honest. And then after my single time, I decided to dial things back and I decided that I wanted to be monogamous. And so I'm actually practicing monogamy with my partner But I am so passionate about creating a really affirming environment for, you know, people I work with, coaching or therapy otherwise, so that they know that this could be an option for them if that's what they want to practice. That makes sense. Now, one thing I want to clarify for people, what is the difference between opening up and swinging? Because a lot of people might think, oh, that that's the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because people use all kinds of different language, right? And so it really is dependent on who you're talking to. Some people may use that as the same thing. Of opening up, I think of there's an emotional connection attached to it when we're seeking out those other partners. Mm. When I think of swinging, I think of a sex-only environment. I think of maybe voyeurism or something like that. Group sex, not so much an emotional attachment. Maybe you can be friends and friendly, but not having that, well, we're going out on dates, romance, and love involved. Right. So kind of more the swinging, most people kind of see that as just the act that you're doing, the sexual act, only in not any sort of emotional or aftercare or coddling or anything like that. And so it's kind of separated in that way. Yes. Sometimes I will say the aftercare can be provided in swinging environments. And it's Mm -hmm. all about what they want to consent to. You know, it can be the person that they are swinging with or if they feel more comfortable having their maybe more so partner that, you know, they arrived with to provide that aftercare. It just really depends. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like you just need to come to the same page, so to speak, the same spot in agreement and and I can understand what you're saying when you said that it was like you were doing it, but it wasn't talked about and how much better it would feel when you could talk about that and be like, you know, yes. this is what I did. And there's so much more joy, I would think, in that than the other way around. Right. And I think there can be such a, like a block of shame that gets in the way mm-hmm. of this, that gets people, you know, not interested, not even curious about it, not even giving it another thought or any other way of mindset that they've had growing up, which can be pretty tough, especially if, you know, you're in a relationship with a partner who presents this idea to you. You kind of have only limited options. You stay in the relationship and maybe that partner becomes resentful. Maybe even they end up cheating on you, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Or you stay in the relationship, you get curious about it and see if it is for you. Try it out. Experiment. If it doesn't, then now you know. Or the third path, you end it when they present it to you. Right. And you know, if if someone's open to trying it, I think that to me, it seems like the best option to just try it. Not be like, okay, we're totally committed to this. Be like, well, let's try it. But I know that in some relationships, the jealousy won't even allow that. The person who is being presented to is like, oh, well, you want to do that. You must not want me. Yes. I'm not enough. Yes. That comes up like, you know, I was talking about before that self-worth comes up. 
I think what the biggest struggle that happens when it comes to jealousy is they feel threatened in some sort of way that the relationship is going to end. And that can be, you know, a mental internal struggle that is happening for them, or it can be an action that their partner is doing that is, you know, triggering that for them, whether it be they're going out on a date maybe and not providing reassurance or not providing some Mm. type of security to like you know, mend and connect to that need that they're struggling with. I would see that this also would be kind of really hard setup for someone who is an insecure person. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I see a lot. <laughs> You're yes. right. And I could see how that would just mean that would just shut some people down right off the bat and be like, no, I can't handle that. That's not what I want. And and if the other partners already brought it up, It's kind of like, okay, they've already thought of that. They already want that. So they're not going to live their life to their fullest desire. And you know that at this point. Right. Yeah. And so in a way, I do end up meeting a lot of people who are at this place of, well, they don't want to hold their partner back. They do want them to live authentically. But they also struggle with the idea of letting go of the relationship if they're not interested in trying the form of non-monogamy that their partner is presenting. And so you kind of just, you know, if they're holding on, they're kind of just white knuckling the whole way through it with taking care of those other internal struggles. Seems like a really hard place to be. And I guess I imagine for you, that's got to be the challenge to how to move them on, whether that be moving on to leaving one another or moving on to trying. And it's got to, it seems like it's a, a monumental thing. Right. Yeah. Cause the, the, what they're doing right now isn't working, right? The status quo. I mean, that's why they're coming to see me is because they're struggling with that. Mm -hmm. And so what I try to do is I try to empower the partners. If there seems to be some sort of power imbalance, and especially this happens with one partner being more excited and enthusiastic about trying and presenting it usually to their partner and the other partner who's a little bit more reserved. You often find this dynamic where the partner who's more reserved and hesitant is not only insecure, but maybe even leaning toward a codependent type of relationship. Right. That's what I was going to ask too. Like, what if there's like some sort of like, I don't know, abuse or narcissistic abuse that's preventing, you know what I mean? Like, I could, I don't know. I mean, you hear so much about narcissistic abuse these days, which I think is good that it's coming out in the world to the forefront. But I can see how that could be the case for some couples. Yeah, that does come out, actually. And it can make it extremely difficult. I was actually scrolling through Reddit right before we got on and they were actually talking about, you know, situations like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so... That is, is that is not consensual non-monogamy. That is not ethical non-monogamy. You're right. Um, And that really has a factor of something called coercion. And when we are being coerced into something, we are not giving full consent. We are probably not fully informed of what that partner is doing or wanting. Maybe they're holding back secrets. Maybe they are having unprotected sex without telling us. Maybe they are threatening to leave the relationship if we don't try polyamory or something like that. And that is all, you know, what you just said right there, coercion. It can happen with narcissistic abuse, all of that. Yeah, I, that that seems like so that they have more going on than just dealing with <laughs> Be, you know, opening or becoming non-monogamous. They have more going on. So 
What do you think is the main reason that people desire to go into a non-monogamous relationship? What's their driver or their trigger? Is it a curiosity, a desire? What do you find to be the most common reasons? I think the most common reason that I happen to see, and I see all forms, I can... I've seen people transition from swinging into polyamory because of their of connection. And I think mm. that's the common theming and thread that I see with most people and expanding in this way of sharing their life or sharing their love with others. And that really mm. just fills their cup. On the other you know, side of things, maybe it's connection to themselves, right? So exploring maybe a side of them sexually that they haven't gotten to explore maybe most of their life. Right. That makes sense because if your partner doesn't want to do certain things, yet you're interested in doing it, it's either you stay monogamous and you never do that. But then, like you said, there can also be resentment that builds up from being forced into, okay, I don't want to do that. So you're never going to do that act. Right. Yeah. And so in some ways, what can help with that, some people, you know, set up a dynamic where they really just outsource maybe for a really kinky act or scene Mm -hmm. that the nesting partner back at home isn't interested in or can't do maybe physically. And Mm -hmm. that's their agreement. And they're cool with that. And, you know, they keep it within those bounds. Sometimes I have seen, though, that they want to, again, kind of negotiate again and expand upon that agreement. So maybe, you know, for a while, the kinky sex with that one partner is working out, but eventually they want to expand into a more deeper loving relationship. And then things can get rocky again after that. And what I'm sensing from you is that People who are in a monogamous mindset might think that there should be no changes in your sexuality over your lifetime. But people who are open to these things realize that it's not static. We're not static people. And I think that's, to me, what I'm seeing is like, that's the big difference is that (laughs) the people that accept that we do change and the people that don't, and that can be seated in insecurity, I'm sure as well. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, actually, because, you know, when we get into a relationship, if we're, you know, monogamous, we have these expectations that our partner is just going to be like this forever. Right. right. Like, oh, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, nothing's going to change. You're going to be exactly the way you are. Where, you know, when you even think about it, the person you were, what, 10 years ago, is probably a lot different than who you are now. Right. And so... We're simply not static as human beings. Like we just change and evolve naturally. So yeah, that is a big struggle with having that monogamous mindset and not being as open to the idea. Not saying that you have to be non-monogamous if you take on a non-monogamous mindset, but the beauty of it is it's a lot more flexible rather than that kind of strict rigidness of we should always stay the same. And I think it's really silly for someone to think that another person isn't going to change. Think about how much we do change, how much we're exposed to, how much we are learning every day. If we were the same, if I was the same person as I am now, as I was when I was 20, I might be like, oh, what was all those years? You know, like that doesn't even make any sense, right? Yeah, yeah. It'd be terrifying. That's kind of like thinking if you're nine, you stay the same until you're 18. I mean, even in the, you know, the time frame of a child. That's goofy that people think that way. 
Is it fear? Do you think it's fear that makes people do that? Like, well, you didn't used to be like this. You didn't used to want this. Yeah, people really do fear change. I actually hear that a lot in my sessions because maybe they grew up in a really unstable home. And so having that, uh, you know, routine or the predictability with a partner is something that feels really stable to them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think you can still have predictability and novelty Mm -hmm. and evolution of growth. I think one of the hardest things that people, you know, come to find is accepting differences in our partner. And we kind of place this mindset that, you know, if they have a different desire or preference than, you know, me as their partner, then ruins the relationship or that that means we're in rocky waters whereas like when we got together of course there were differences Mm -hmm. Um, it just over time I feel like just gets people a little bit anxious so I think you're on to something with that fear yes Mm -hmm. I mean it's kind of silly if you think about it even something as simple as taste I don't like the same I didn't like olives and salsa when I was a child. And now I love it. Why do we think that we would stay the same? Why would anybody think you would stay the same in any area of your life? Even something as simple as taste changes. You were And novelty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And, you know, outside of just like, I love that you use like just a basic example of change. But when you think about like, like what turns us on, what arouses us, Again, same thing may turn you on that you liked 10 years ago, but I'm sure that you've kind of like gotten curious and found other things that have turned you on since then. And that's okay. That's the beauty of our mind. Right. And to me, that's expanding your sexuality. You know, like I was talking about somebody with somebody I was in an interview recently where I was the guest and we were talking about how porn desensitizes people. And I said, does it really desensitize us or are we just getting expanded? Mm. You know, like, is it just an expansion? Because I said, so for me, when I think about the whole theory of desensitization, I don't know that I necessarily believe it because one night I might be turned on by something super vanilla and the next night something super extreme. And then the next night I might be back at the vanilla again. I don't really see it as a desensitization. I see it as an expansion where I'm like, oh, hey, I want to try this super extreme thing tonight. That doesn't define me. That doesn't say I'm always like that or even that I want to do that. I might just want to experience watching it. So I don't necessarily agree with the whole theory of some people saying it. it's porn desensitizes us. I think it's more of an expansion of your sexuality than the limiting aspect of desensitization. And that's a negative connotation as well. Yeah, I really love that idea. I haven't heard it presented that way. I'll have to think about Because I know there is research supporting, uh, you know, like visual stimuli and how that can be desensitizing as far as maybe arousal, but -hmm. not always, right? Again, someone can watch the same porn like a hundred times and still get (laughs) aroused by the same thing. So Mm -hmm. I'll have to do my own research on that because I I love that idea how it's expanded into this idea of, well, it's kind of like a buffet Mm -hmm. to pick and choose what you're in the mood for. Right. I think of myself, I think just because I, was turned on by that super extreme thing doesn't mean I don't like that other stuff that's super like vanilla. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's more our mood. And I think 
I think anything that expands your sexuality and you want to try out is fantastic. And that's what we should be doing. We're alive. We should be doing that. This is what we should be doing when we're alive. We should be exploring our sexuality and expanding it. And so maybe we want to try something, but then we don't like it. Like we were talking about with the monogamy. You try it. Okay. Oh, that's not for me. Now you know. (laughs) Now you know. (laughs) Exactly. It's got to be so interesting for you, too, to see all the different scenarios of people. And I'm sure pretty quickly you can assess whether it's, you know, is this going to work or is this there's an element of abuse or possessiveness or jealousy that's become possessive? Or do you kind of get a sense with your meeting with people like, OK, I, I this might work or no. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by... The Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our special offer, go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean-shaven for spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, "Hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. Yeah. So first, I want to say that every single relationship that I've seen practicing some form of non-monogamy has always been different. There has been nothing Mm -hmm. identical, which is what makes this so interesting for me. And it Mm -hmm. kind of keeps me on my toes. And this is part of the novelty that I love seeking by helping people. But Mm -hmm. as far as being able to pick up on things, you know, the jealousy or the coercion or abuse, you can see that by how partners are talking to each other. Mm -hmm. If they are putting each other down, if they are shaming them, being condescending, lots of contempt, you know, one of the four horsemen that is a predictor of the relationship ending. If you're seeing a lot of those, you're kind of not on the right path for success. Right. That makes sense. And I can see that that would be really hard place for couples to be, but they may have other issues that they need to deal with before getting to dealing with whether they're monogamous or not. 
Yes. And and what I find so interesting is when people decide to open their relationship when it's already rocky, that's actually mm. what happens a lot. They mm. think, oh, let's go try this. Maybe it'll fix our relationship. Kind of like how people like have a baby to save their relationship. Uh-huh. Right. Doesn't work. Mm. It does not work. It just exacerbates problems because you're adding more stress into the mix. And so it gets really difficult when you don't have the basic skills of learning how to love, talk and connect to one another. And when you mentioned earlier the novelty, I think as human beings, like you were saying, we all like novelty. We just sort of crave variety and variety is a spice of life, right? And so I can see that's where some people may want to investigate non-monogamy, but yet they still love their partner and they don't want their relationship to end. So it's whether I was talking about with someone recently and I was talking about the whole, what is the word? Compersion? Is it compersion? Yeah. Yeah, They had never heard of it and they kind of didn't believe me. And I'm like, no, this is a thing. This is this is a real thing. I said, this is a real word. And they didn't really believe what I was saying. And they're like, no, no, that's not. I was just like, wow, to be that Mm -hmm. shut down that you can't even like imagine that that's a thing someone might feel for their partner. Will you define that for people who don't know what that term means? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the word compersion. So essentially what that is, is being able to experience joy or happiness for your partner experiencing happiness from a source that is not from you. You are not the creator of that experience for them, but you are happy that they are getting that experience. And so let's say maybe your partner was really excited to go on a date and they come back home and had a great time, big smile on their face. Someone experiencing compersion would probably just, you know, wrap their arms around that partner who just got home from the date, bask in, you know, the the loveliness that they just had out with another partner. But I want to kind of like simplify it even more to see if people could even, you know, think of that idea from a monogamous standpoint. Because from what it sounds like, that person who just would not believe compersion was like, I don't believe it exists. And I want to challenge, you know, that person to think, has there been no experience in their life where they felt happy for somebody else when they weren't the source of it? Right. Mm. That that kind of, to me, almost spells like abuse. Like, I don't want you to experience that pleasure unless it's from myself. Like, yeah. Or like another part of that is a sense of dependency. Mm-hmm. I have to be the sole source of happiness for my partner or I am not worthy. That could be a mindset that they have, a belief that they have. But what's so goofy about that is, you know, you don't, in a healthy relationship, you don't get mad if your partner goes out to a movie or out to dinner with their friend and has a great time. Right. Why is it different? Nope. <laughs> it shouldn't be, right? Yeah, that that. I think is what brings up a lot of jealousy. And again, jealousy is a normal emotion. We Mm -hmm. have to figure out how to work with it. We shouldn't just like cast a stone to it and say like, there's something wrong with you if if you experience jealousy. Everybody experiences it, whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous. And so what I think people have trouble with is this sense of needing to be absolutely everything to their partner. Right. And you know, that that really blocks out a lot of potential joy for the other partner if they're not able to do that, you know, work, hobbies, family, friends. Yeah. It also seems rather controlling. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, <laughs> like that just seems really disturbing to think 
I don't want you to enjoy yourself. It wouldn't it wouldn't be acceptable to say to your partner in in you know normal healthy I don't know there is no normal in healthy relationships be like I don't want you to have fun with your girlfriend when you go out to dinner. If yeah. you said that to your partner, ew, yuck, that stings. Right, and that's just cruel and mean and very controlling. Like I only want you to have fun with me. Mm-hmm. Like that just seems like a horrible place to be in a relationship. And I feel like when you're saying that people are jealous and they don't want them to go and be open or be non-monogamous, it's kind of what they're saying. I don't want you to have fun with other people. Yeah. yeah. Only have fun with me. And that seems very controlling. Yeah. It's a for them, in their mind, it's a threat to their security of the relationship. That if their partner goes does this, go has this other relationship, goes out to the ball game, go hangs out with family. If their partner does this, it threatens the relationship. When in in reality, Many of those situations, when done in a healthy way, they do not threaten the relationship at all. No. In fact, they would make it a happier relationship, more fulfilled to be like, oh, did you you had fun when you went out to dinner? Oh, what did you, you know, it would be a joyful discussion afterwards. Like you said, wrapping the arms up and being like, I'm so glad you had that fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, jealousy is a hard one. I don't see much positive side to jealousy. Do you? I think jealousy can bring awareness. Mm-hmm. I think the positive side can just be awareness to there's something in the relationship structure or dynamic that is off balance here, and now we can address it. But many right. times it just goes left, you know, to get worse and worse and worse, making more strain on the relationship. So I would say that jealousy can be a superpower at times as far as you know, maybe even getting some erotic energy back into the relationship. Some people can find that, you know, really hot to have their partner jealous, like if a partner is going to flirt with someone else. And it's it's agreed upon, right? That's right, consensual. Right. Uh, but other times, as we've already discussed, it can get pretty unhealthy really fast. Right. And yeah, I think it totally depends on the mindset. Like, you think about the whole hot wife situation where, you know, the person may be a hot wife and go have sex. And then they come back and have sex with their partner and it's hotter. And so that's, you know, that's a type of obviously open relationship or swinging or whatever you want to do. But that actually is the turn on to them to be like, right? Like, and and some people just don't, can't understand that because they just can't. (laughs) But a lot of people find that an arousing situation too. Right. Well, I think one part of it that people don't experience jealousy in that and find it more arousing is They kind of feel like they have like the hottest girl on the planet, right? Right. And that they get to share that, you know, joy or, uh, you know, experience with other people and getting to to know that, you know, they kind of have that angle of, in a sense, control, but a healthy way of control on it, you know, can be really great for their relationship. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I've I've read... I've even written it myself, but in other authors I've read and people I've read who do it in real life. And it's them. It's like, you're my partner. Look how amazing you are. And then they come back together. And that's almost like a celebration of you're mine. You're not, not as far as ownership goes. I mean, obviously, there's different levels of that, too. But you're mine. You're my partner. And I get to be with you. I get to spend my life with you. And right. that's the positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, so many different scenarios out there. It's really quite fascinating. Do you ever find, do you ever had anybody come to you that says, okay, we want to do the hot wife thing? Have you had that type of a scenario? You know, I'm actually surprised that I haven't really had that specific scenario, but I have Mm -hmm. had partners where they are very excited, aroused, and feel a lot of compersion for their wife getting to have that experience with someone else. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily, they wouldn't call it hot wifing, but still, again, very rousing and pleasing experience where they're happy that that is happening. Right. Like they're just more excited about the fact that their partner is getting pleasured and feeling that pleasure. And that's their priority. Yep. Yes. Glad you said it that way. It's exactly that. Knowing that their partner is getting to experience that, even though they might not be the one pleasuring them, they want their partner to get off. And so it's it's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. What's the toughest scenario you've seen? Like, can you give us some clues of what that looked like and, you know, how you went about trying to help those people? Yeah, I would say the toughest scenario that I see is when they they are opening up the relationship where one is a bit more enthusiastic than the other, but they're doing it, they're going about it, and they're trying to make it work. But then they can't really decide and agree on what form of non-monogamy they want to mm. practice. Maybe one wants to practice kind of like more so relationship anarchy and go, I don't want any rules. I want freedom. I don't want labels. I want to be able to do what I want. Whereas the other partner who's, again, that more resistant or hesitant one is experiencing a lot of insecurity. They're wanting to have boundaries. They're wanting to have a lot more restricted experiences. And that is the toughest scenarios when they're not really seeing eye to eye on what form of non-monogamy they both want to do. Oh, I can totally imagine that. That's, And so they have to come to some sort of compromise, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what What happens is sometimes they, they really can't. Mm-hmm. And, and then the relationship does end and it's really, really tough because, you know, they, they did try. Mm-hmm. That is really hard. I interviewed one woman who kind of teaches along the same lines of what you do and she said flat out, I, I don't compromise who I am. I yeah. won't do it. And there are people that are, you know, so I guess every person has to decide where they are on that gradient, whether they're going to stay in their relationship or not, if they're not okay with what their partner wants. Right. I would say, and and this is what I really try to give for both partners. I try to give them both a voice where they can explore who they are, what are their values, what kind of, you know, dream relationship would they like to have, you know, within their couplehood and outside relationships. And on top of that, would they be maybe resentful for or regretful for if they missed out on? Kind of if we pinpoint those experiences, those are those non-negotiables for them. Mm-hmm. And if they can't agree, at least on that, then we know it's likely going to be a deal breaker and we're going to be unhappy in the relationship if we move forward. Have you come across any couples that maybe one person in the the couple, the partnership was not comfortable talking about being bisexual and they brought it up at some point later on and that just was a shutdown to begin with. But, you know, honestly, there's some people who take a long time to be okay with admitting that because of the way they were maybe 
brought up or grown up or the ex, you know what they were exposed to. Have you seen that? And how how do you how do you smooth that over? Because I think if the person who says, "Okay, I I am by," and their partner is upset about that, I mean, can you really get mad at someone who isn't comfortable saying it until you know ten, fifteen years into the relationship? Yeah, yeah. You know, lucky for me. Even though I have had the scenario where a couple comes to me and, you know, one of the partners did come out as bi later into, you know, at least a decade long marriage, mm-hmm. uh, they weren't upset about it. They, they the, the receiving, you know, the news partner was not upset about their sexuality. They just, you know, were happy to know the truth. What was really hard was navigating it because the partner was feeling still a lot of shame about exploring that parts of themselves. And there was a lot of deception involved in that. Mm. And that was really the, the crux of the end of the relationship was more so the deception rather than the coming out as by it's not following through with agreements, not respecting boundaries that they had both agreed on. And when that happens, I mean, even in monogamous relationships that, you know, that betrayal becomes, you know, too hard to bear. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and like we talked about, our sexuality is constantly changing. But there are a lot of people who feel shameful, especially people who maybe are older that might feel shameful about being bi or something or talking about that. So they may have hidden it for years, you know, because it wasn't okay when they grew up. But that was not an okay thing to be. So why would they talk about that? In today's world, it's different. Yeah. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yes. Luckily. With with the, you know, unfortunate thing that can happen, though, with puritanical or religious culture, though, that is maybe mm-hmm. so far against the LGBTQ plus community mm-hmm. that that does end up, you know, ending the marriage because, you know, there can be disapproval from the partner who's receiving that news or just a lot of judgment. And it's not a safe place for that partner coming out, right. which we don't want a partner who's coming out to stay in a relationship where they feel unsafe, where they feel right. not accepted, right? So sometimes the end of the relationship is the best thing for both partners. That makes sense. If they're that inflexible and that stuck in that puritanical religious mindset that that's, you know, that's evil, that's satanic or whatever they want to say. I don't know. They think it's bad. I could see how that would, I may feel bad for the partner that hit it for so long. And then they're not, then they come to this, their partner that they trust and they say that and they're greeted with that instead of, oh, okay, I love you. Yeah. How, how damaging, how Mm -hmm. shaming for that person. And, And maybe they're still, you know, struggling with that idea. Maybe they decide to hide that part of themselves even further. Right. That's the thing I worry about for people. Yeah. Yeah. They shove it down even more and don't admit it. Like, okay, I can't have that be coming out. Mm. That's really sad. Yeah. And I'm sure that happens, you know, a lot in religious relationships or dare I say even politicians. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, shove it down because I don't want the world to see me this way. What would the world think of me? Would this political party think of me? I would lose everything, right? So it is really sad when people just aren't given the space to be their authentic selves. I think that's the key here through this. All we're talking about this entire time is 
Will you allow your partner to be their authentic self? Will you accept that? Do you accept that? Can you try to accept that? That is the biggest question. I mean, everything we're talking about, that's the thing. You know, want to be non-monogamous. That's my authentic self. I want to be, you know, polyamorous. There's so much there that the authenticity is what gets doubted and not allowed to exist. Yeah. And that, to me, is very controlling. No, you can't be who you really are. You're supposed to be who I want you to be. This is who I see as you. This is how you're supposed to be. This is how you were 10 years ago. You're still supposed to be this way. How damaging. Yeah. Mm. Who are you to tell me how to be as a person? This is, this is the great thing about being human. We have free will. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like that person is like being like abused or like, I don't know, so, so, so oppressed. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, most of the time when people are coming to see me, it's um, not a factor of, you know, a partner being controlling. It's not a factor people not accepting their partner. It's their own internal struggle with a shift in the relationship structure and deciding if it's for them or not. And that makes sense because they're coming to you. Like if they didn't want to work on this, They wouldn't get in the car together and come meet you. They have to be willing to do that. And if they're not, you know, those are the other, you know, sad scenarios where they're not, you know, they're just shoving it down. But yeah, they're willing. They're willing. They want to work on it. Otherwise, they wouldn't get in the car to come see you or, you know, get on the computer. If it's a laptop, you know, virtual. That makes a lot of sense. Do you yeah. do, do you do a lot of your work virtual or do you do in person? Yeah, I do a lot of work virtually. I have an online practice in business, but you know, if they are local to me, I practice out of Florida, Central Florida. So mm-hmm. if they are local to me, I do offer intensives where I can travel to their home and provide mm-hmm. services too. How long I'm sure this is probably a silly question. How long does it usually take for someone to open up their marriage? Or is it come Completely on a giant gradient. Oh my gosh, that gradient is like (laughs) (laughs) I make sense. (laughs) Yeah, it is it is so hard to determine that because, you know, I'll give an example of one couple I was working with um, where they started out, you know, they were long distance. And so they Mm -hmm. had this agreement where, okay, we'll have sex with, you know, other people while we're apart. And then they closed the gap. They got to, you know, be near each other. They finally got to live together. And one of the partners decided, you know, I'm actually leaning more on seeking deeper connections with people. And I'm really interested in polyamory rather than just having casual sex with people. Mm. And so something that was actually really difficult for the partner receiving that news and what I thought was going to be a while for us to get through maybe within like a few months later, there was a really quick adjustment and they Hmm. finally gained a lot of understanding. Whereas I can work with years with some people on an adjustment. So it really Hmm. depends. That's fascinating. And it makes sense because people are all so different and some are open and some are not, you know, (laughs) that gets to be the challenge, how open someone is to trying different things. Yeah. Yeah. Some people like the same old, same old. Some people love, Mm -hmm. you know, vanilla. Some people Mm -hmm. want, you know, maybe a more, especially my introverts that I see, they they Mm -hmm. like that more homey vibe, not interested in, you know, going out, experiencing the world. 
what often happens is they end up partnered up with someone who has a lot of energy, wants to go experience things, <laughs> loves novelty. So, you know, that's kind of what you sign up for in a sense. You don't sign up for non-monogamy when you enter in a monogamous marriage, maybe, but you sign up for knowing that your partner is a bit more different in a sense. Absolutely. When it's a religious thing, do you think, I mean, it's... It seems like you can't even really change someone's mind if they're so rooted in thinking that it's evil and it's, you know, something it's just not done. Can you really change someone's mind? Have you seen that happen where someone is so stuck in it because of religious belief that they then start to change? Or is that kind of a scenario where that tends to not. Yeah, I would say a a good amount of the clients I work with come from a religious background, but are no Mm. longer practicing. Maybe they grew up with it in their family. And that sometimes has caused a lot of trauma for them, you know, depending in what way it was, you know, taught to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would say for the most part, as far as like thinking about, you know, can that change? Can the mindset change? I want to give hope to people out there that yes, it can, right. but they have to, they have to want it though. And some people yeah. are just so damn stubborn and they, they choose not to. That's so true. <laughs> and you know, that might be coming from a place of fear too. They're thinking that, you know, that's evil and that I might be, you know, in some way harmed or damaged at some point in my future if I participate in that or I say that that's okay yeah. to be that way. Right. Right. Yeah. But but I'm thinking, you know, along the lines of luckily we do have some people out there who maybe were raised by religious parents. They come out, you know, as part of, you know, on the spectrum of the LGBTQ community and, you know, parents who maybe were once really damning to the LGBTQ community realize, oh, shit, I love my kid to hell mm-hmm. with that. And Let me love my kid and shift my mindset. So I want to say that it can happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, That's what I would like to believe, too, because it just seems so restrictive to not think that that can't happen. I mean, it's got to it's got to happen for some people. And and I'm sure it does. Like you said, people realize I love you for you and you're my child, regardless of what you do. That's sort of an unconditional viewpoint of someone. Right. Versus a conditional and and I think that is a big difference in parent-child dynamic versus partner dynamic because mm-hmm. you don't choose your kid, but you choose your partner. Right. And in and what I've, you know, just come to learn in my experience as being a therapist and learning so much about like the science of love, love is not enough to keep a relationship together. Right. And so that there has to be conditions that you both agree to to mm-hmm. keep it going. And, and sometimes the conditions change and then the relationship ends. Right. Yeah. If they don't agree, they can't agree on enough to make it work. I mean, I think you have to have love in there. Yes. But yeah, like love by itself is not necessarily enough. Because yeah. you can love someone and not agree with them. All the time. All the time. That's pretty much normal, I'd say, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's been so amazing. Where can people find you? Like, we haven't really talked about where and how people could find you. Yeah. So they can just find me on my website at pagebond.com. 
I'm also on TikTok and Instagram, Page Bond Coaching. And sometimes I'll post uh, just different videos about, you know, how to have healthy relationship tips. I also have an email list if you sign up for my people-pleasing workbook or my jealousy workbook. And so I'll send out some more exclusive content that I don't post on, you know, public socials. Page Bond Coaching. I, I think just the essence of, you know, just because you're thinking about transitioning into maybe a type of non-monogamy doesn't mean that there has to be necessarily a physical action associated with it. One thing that we didn't talk about is, you know, things staying in fantasy land. And maybe mm. one person's form of non-monogamy is watching, you know, threesome porn with their partner mm. or maybe going to a sex party and, you know, being a voyeur watching and bringing that energy back home and not actually physically getting intimate with anybody else or having emotional connection with anybody else. It can stay all up here in the head and there doesn't have to be actual action. So, you know, there there's so many different versions of non-monogamy that you can do. So see what your brain comes up with and see what you might find, you know, workable for you and arousing. Oh, I really like that, that you brought that up because, yeah, I mean, that's one way to expand and explore your sexuality is to do something like that. You know, and I write erotica, erotic romance, and that's another way to do it, too. You know, not necessarily porn. If someone isn't into watching it, you could read it. You could listen to it in audiobooks. It's another way to expand and explore your sexuality, perhaps in a way that you can't with your partner. Yes. Yeah. Glad you brought up erotica, of course, since you read and create it. Yeah, that is another way that, you know, they can either invite them into it or you can give consent to your partner of, okay, this is part of our agreement. I don't see that as cheating of you listening to it. I don't see that as cheating of you watching it. Whereas in some monogamous agreements, they may find that as infidelity. So, you know, the options are endless. Right. I guess that gets back to their, you know, your agreement and whether you can agree or not, because they need to talk about it and decide what they agree with and agree on rather than having it be hidden. It's hard though, because I see couples and people that, you know, approach me and say like, I do all this on the side because my partner will not be okay with it. And they don't want to leave their partner. So they just do it on the side. And it's a hard way to live. Yeah. Well, one, not only are they possibly dealing with so much guilt or shame, Upon mm -hmm. hiding that, they're also not giving their partner the opportunity to even decide. You know, the right. other partner doesn't even know. Maybe right. they would surprise them and actually be open to exploring some form of that. But they're not giving their partner that chance. That's true. That's true. Because you never know. But I have a few people that comment on say things where like, I if, if I ever brought that up, they would be so aghast. I would completely ruin my marriage. And I think that's a hard place to be, but that that's a reality for some people. But you're right. There are some people out there. What harm is it in just saying, hey, what do you think of this? Yeah. Yeah. Right? And I think, you know, the ones who like who are really adamant about saying that their partner wouldn't approve, I would also maybe challenge that partner in thinking, well, is this the right relationship for you if you can't be fully mm -hmm. your authentic self? That's so true. Yeah. It's a very good point. Tough topics. Yeah. <laughs> very tough topics. Well, it's been so amazing. I love chatting with you and I hope this is helpful to people to like think about different ways that they could maybe 
change our relationship or maybe improve it or expand it in some way. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. That was that was amazing to hear all your experience and your knowledge. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. All right. You too, Ruin. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to that. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it helpful and useful. I love to provide things for people to help them with their sexuality in some way, shape, or form. When I do these interviews, I like to expand your sexuality. I like to teach you something, maybe from an expert like Paige, who knows what they're talking about, has experience, has studied this. She has experience with helping people through it. And just an amazing thing that I can provide for people. And I know a lot of people may agree with it. A lot of people don't agree with it, just like anything else. But make sure you enjoy your bodies. We were given these organs for a reason, our sexual organs. We were meant to enjoy our bodies and enjoy pleasure that our bodies can provide us with all those amazing nerve endings. It's no different than being given taste buds to enjoy strawberries. We were given our sexual organs to enjoy our bodies, to reach climax and have pleasure with ourselves and with a partner or partners. Make sure you come today. Make sure you grab that, snag that. Use your own natural body's abilities to heal you, to be a stress relief, to Help your body be healthy because when you do use your little lovely, sexy swollen genitals, you're bringing blood flow down there and keeping that area healthy. It can atrophy. It can. You don't use it, you lose it, and your libido can take a dive. So make sure you do everything you can for your body. Be healthy. Exercise. Exercise does increase your libido, by the way. And it also increases the size of your clitoris while you're exercising. That's why you might feel a little bit horny afterwards, after you work out, because it actually is a boost. So think about that next time you're ignoring your duty to work out. You should. Okay, well, I hope you have an amazing, amazing weekend. Don't forget to check out my podcast on Pod Nation TV. Many amazing ones there. There is the Happy Hour Podcast, which I am co-hosting tonight live on YouTube at 7.30 Eastern. And there's so many amazing podcasts there. You got to check it out. So go to Pod Nation TV if you happen to have a Roku TV device or a Fire TV device. You can search for our channel. I'm also on the Full Swap Radio Network, which you can find online. And there is an app for it. And my episodes play twice a week on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time and at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. Don't forget to check out my books on the podcast show notes. I have the new books out, The Sugar Daddies and Anderson, The Pool Service Man Turned Bull. That's the third book in the Filthy Hot Wife Adventures series. The first one is the one I'm nominated for in The Golden Pigtail. So don't forget to vote for me. <laughs> I would love to move on to the next round. And if you want to hear a portion of it and you have not read the book, go check out that podcast. And again, I'll give you the podcast name of Adult Erotic Stories from Wild in Bed. And that is Sexual Stories and Hypnosis. Erotic Stories from Wild in Bed can be found on podcast apps. Right now, I think I'm looking at maybe it's at Apple, but he's got an amazing, very sexy podcast and he does a fantastic job of narrating a portion of my story. It was so emotional for me to listen to someone else narrate my story to that extent. It was, I've had narrators, I have, I hire them to do like male dialogue, 
but he did a huge portion of of one of the stories. So he did all of the the narration and the characters, and it was so emotional for me. It was really amazing to listen to. So check that out, and I hope you have an amazing fucking day. Love ya. Bye-bye now. Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.